the garden. I believe myself to possess a most singular combination of qualities, exactly fitted to make me preeminently a discoverer of the hidden realities of nature. I am never so happy as when I am really engaged in good earnest, and it makes me most wonderfully cheery and merry at other times, which is curious and very satisfactory. I am, more than ever now, the bride of science. Religion to me is science, and science is religion. The more I study, the more insatiable do I feel my genius for it to be. These are just some of the quotes attributed to one of the most celebrated mathematicians in history. An intellect considered to have been well ahead of her time, Ada Lovelace. To say she's the first programmer, it kind of doesn't do her justice. She actually gave us a, a far bigger intellectual leap, you know, to come up really being a prophet of a computer age, you know, over a hundred years before Alan Turing came up with his ideas around digital electronic computers. Tomorrow is the 10th Ada Lovelace Day, an event created back in 2009 to recognize the work of the renowned mathematician and to celebrate some of the women living today who are making huge contributions to the world of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. She is considered by some to be the first computer programmer. However, historians have often disagreed about how influential she really was. So why is the STEM world so enamored with this woman? What made Google decide she was important enough to represent in one of their commemorative doodles? You know, we can see historically that Ada really exemplifies how women have been and are treated. And because of that, I personally find her a very sort of sympathetic character in the sense of like, I, I look at what she went through and I look about at her reputation and how she was treated after her death. And yeah, I can look at that and think I, I relate to that. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I look at the short, tragic, but hugely significant life of Ada Lovelace. This is Chips with Everything. I'm Tilly Blythe. I'm Head of Collections and Principal Curator at the Science Museum in London. In 2015, she was the lead curator of the Ada Lovelace exhibition at the Science Museum. When producer Danielle spoke with her recently, she began with what she thought was an easy question. Was Ada Lovelace a hero? I think she's certainly a significant figure that we should look up to, yes. Um, and I think it's extremely important to look at women in the history of science and mathematics to find, you know, those women who played a significant role in taking us forward. But whether she is a hero, I, I would uh, just invite us to kind of unpack why we feel the need to always think about heroes in science and, and mathematics. Because I think we always tend to look to the people who are the first, the people who, you know, we can hold up on some kind of pedestal, whereas actually the history of women's contribution to science, technology and engineering is far more nuanced, far more interesting um, than just always being the first, you know. Um, so 
if you look at the role that women have played, often it's a role of communication, of translation, of you know having technical expertise. And sometimes we fail to celebrate that other role that women have played because we're only interested in thinking about the first or the hero. Hero or not, she's something of a celebrity, which turns out not to be too far from how she was perceived even as a child. Born Augusta Ada Byron in the middle of the Industrial Revolution, she was the daughter of the famous poet Lord Byron. Although, given he left the family when Ada was only a month old and died when she was eight, it might be fairer to attribute much of Ada's success to her mother, Annabella Milbank. So her mother had very strong views on women's education. She was a great believer that women should be educated and she ensured that Ada had um, a tutor in mathematics. So that's what gave Ada a very firm foundation from being able to understand complex mathematical questions. Ada was born at a time when education wasn't a right automatically afforded to girls. But Annabella was adamant that her daughter would be taught by the very best in every subject. Annabella was an avid lover of maths herself, but she also had an ulterior motive in making sure that Ada was well-educated in the sciences. Yeah, I think she probably wanted to give that counteract to to the poetical side that Lord Byron gave. So, as you'll know, Byron was known as mad, bad and dangerous to know, and she was very worried that uh, Ada might go in that direction. So she wanted to give her a very rational basis for understanding the world around her. Those who have studied letters written by Ada Lovelace speculate that despite her mother's best efforts, she did inherit some of her father's more extreme personality traits, or maybe even imperfections. Who is perfect? None of us are perfect. And actually, it's the imperfections that often make us. So, you know, she's quite the character. Great believer in herself, very confident, headstrong, and, and, you know, she was sometimes impetuous. But um, I think that's what makes her also so interesting and perhaps meant that she was able to think outside the box and able to make imaginative leaps in her mathematics that other people hadn't made. And imaginative leaps were her forte. At just 12 years old, she was designing concepts for a steam-powered flying machine, looking to the anatomy of birds for inspiration on how to get the machine off the ground. She didn't quite get there, but she wasn't far off. Ada was a person of status and privilege, and grew up with access to luxuries and rights that the majority of people at the time didn't have. But her life was far from easy. I mean, she was ill for a large part of the time when she was a child. She was bedridden. As she grew up, she had to take laudanum for for pain that she had. You know, some women at the time did take it. It was quite common that people took laudanum, but it obviously affects how you think as as well as um, the pain that you might be experiencing. And of course, she died of cervical cancer at the age of only 36. So, you know, she spent a long time dealing with many health problems as well as being, you know, this very forward-thinking mathematician. Over the course of her education, Ada was introduced to a number of mathematicians. But at the age of 17, she met one in particular who would help her unlock some of her most ingenious ideas, Charles Babbage. He used to host these soirees at his house in Dorset Square in in London. He would gather the great and the good um, into his house and show him some of his new ideas. And Ada Lovelace would go to these soirees, accompanied by Mary Somerville, who was a very renowned mathematician. 
And um, it was there that she first saw what she described as his thinking machine. So this was the difference engine number one, which was a kind of small part of an engine that he hoped would go on to mean that he could gain the funding and build a much bigger machine. So it was this machine um, that would spark a conversation and spark their friendship so that they would go on to think together about the consequence of these machines and what they might be capable of. A pinnacle of her career was when she worked with Babbage on the Menabrea papers. So what happened was that Charles Babbage gave a lecture in Turin and when he gave this lecture... Luigi Menabrea actually um, wrote down this lecture and wanted to publish it, but it was Ada Lovelace who took that lecture as written by Menabrea and translated it. But I don't mean just translated from what was French then in Turin to English. She actually unpacked it in much more detail than Menabrea and Babbage himself had done. So the original lecture was relatively short, but when Ada had translated it, it was double the size. So she wrote these seven notes, notes A to G, which gave much more information about the philosophical as well as the mathematical consequences of this machine. And in doing so, I believe she really saw something about the analytical engine that Charles Babbage himself and Menabrea had not seen. Um, So she saw the implications of a machine like this that Babbage had described. Somewhere along the way, historians started questioning if Ada should take as much credit for the Menabrea papers as Babbage, whose work acted as the basis. One reason people disagree about just how influential Ada was is the complex issue of who really came up with what could be considered the blueprints for the first algorithm. So Ada was certainly the first person to publish this set of instructions. What she published, um, what we would now consider the first published algorithm in this way was um, instructions for the machine to calculate the Bernoulli numbers. I won't get too mathematical here, but the Bernoulli numbers are a sequence of numbers that are hugely important in number theory, that is, the study of the properties of whole numbers or integers like 1, 2, 3, 4 and so on. And she wrote a set of instructions on how the machine could calculate this. But we know from archive papers that actually Babbage had also worked out some instructions for the machine not to calculate the Bernoulli numbers, but to calculate simultaneous equations. So he had been thinking along these lines, but he hadn't taken it as far as Ada Lovelace, and he certainly didn't publicly publish them. So, you know, it was a a work of collaboration. Certainly he provided some of the formula and the data for the work that she did. But ultimately, it's, it's her name that's associated with the first publication of it. So I think it's fair to recognize her significance and contribution. Babbage himself was delighted with Ada's translation. But something Ada didn't account for was one of his underlying ambitions for this paper. He complimented her. He complimented her work. But he had his own agendas. He was very interested in raising the funds for him to be able to build the machine. He didn't. He was actually given £17,000 by the British government to help him build the difference engine. But when that wasn't completed, he kind of lost popularity and, and lost lots of faith and goodwill. But he was desperate to make sure that when Lovelace published the longer translation of his work, that he would actually be able to 
give a, a you know put in a section that explained why he hadn't managed to complete um, his difference engine. Now. Ada Lovelace was not keen on this. She wanted it to be about the translation and about the insights that she had to the machine, and she refused to allow him to publish that. They furiously fell out with each other in an interesting way. The pair made up eventually, but typically for the era in which she lived, Babbage never paid Ada for her work, even the parts he did appreciate. This was not a time that uh, women of her status would have been paid for such a thing. For her, it was more, I think she wanted to, to gain a kind of reputational significance. She was really keen that her name was associated with the publication. And actually, that you'll see it has A-A-L as the letters of her name at the end of the publication. For her, that was really significant that she was then able to share that more widely with her friends and people who were interested in this. Those who believe that Ada was the mind behind that first idea for an algorithm tend to view her as the first computer programmer. Tilly says it's not that simple. I would say that's anachronistic, really. It's it's not correct in, in historical terms, no. But perhaps also by doing that, we're, again, slightly looking at the wrong thing because what Ada did was not just publish this program, but actually think about the machine in a whole different way. So as I said, Babbage was focused on number. You know, he saw this machine as being useful for calculation. But for Ada, she saw that number could signify anything else. It could be a symbol for musical notes, for letters. So she saw the much bigger kind of philosophical interpretation of this machine that actually it wasn't just a calculator, it could be now what we would call a computer, that if those numbers are representing everything else. So to say she's the first programmer, it kind of doesn't do her justice. She actually gave us a a far bigger intellectual leap, you know, to come up really being a prophet of a computer age, you know, over 100 years before Alan Turing came up with his ideas around digital electronic computers. Ada Lovelace died at just 36, but her ideas lived on and have inspired some of the most famous computer scientists of the 20th century. Well, I think she's almost taken on an iconic status beyond who she was as, as an individual in her own time. And maybe if more women hear her story, realise that, you know, we could all be more imaginative about science, that coding isn't just, you know, a mathematical skill or a very logical skill, but actually it needs a creative side, it needs an imaginative side, that actually, you know, that's a really important thing to think about and to understand and perhaps can be inspiring for us as women and girls to go on uh, to want to be coders, to want to be more interested in STEM subjects. So I think actually her legacy is, is well beyond the contribution that she made at the time. After the break, I'll talk to the founder of Ada Lovelace Day about why Ada is still a force for change in the world of STEM nearly two centuries after her death and why a lot more change is still needed. These institutions, you know, these businesses need to do better. And what they need to do is stop wanting to control the situation. Stop wanting to own the solution. You are not the white knight. You are not on a shining charger. You cannot rescue women from inequality. We don't need rescuing. We need money. We'll be right back.
The way things are isn't the way they have to be. But knowing what to challenge and how to change it isn't always clear. That's why independent journalism has never mattered more. When we are free to follow any lead and question any authority, we can confront the status quo, uncover vital alternatives and bring clarity to the world's most complex issues. We can help our readers understand the world. So together we can fight for a better one. Hope is power. And with your support, you'll always find it at The Guardian. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, we're looking at the story of Ada Lovelace and how her work has helped to inspire generations of women in science, tech, engineering and maths. My name is Sue Charman Anderson and I'm the founder of Ada Lovelace Day. These days, Ada Lovelace Day is a huge organisational feat, with a headline event, this year taking place in London, and hundreds of other events all over the world. But it didn't start out that way. The first Ada Lovelace Day, which was 24th of March 2009, I honestly thought that would be me and a couple of friends. (laughs) The idea was to have a day of blogging about women in tech back when uh, blogs were still fashionable and people still blogged. (laughs) Um, And... I couldn't believe the response. We had 2,000 people sign up on Pledge Bank, and then about another 1,600 or so sign up on Facebook. And suddenly I was on the BBC News, and we had this amazing reaction that I just wasn't expecting. So from something that I thought, oh, this will be a one-off, we'll do it one year, and then that'll be it. And then the next year I was like, oh, right, okay, um, I've got to do this Ada Lovelace Day thing again. Um, And it's just changed. It's evolved a lot. It's nothing like what I was anticipating. It is orders of magnitude better and um, more fun. Despite the event's origins as a day of blog writing, every year the organisers up their game because Sue wants it to be more than just a day of celebration. So for me, it's all been about uh, creating financial stability, creating continuity from year to year and For me, it's about not just the day now, it's about what services can we provide women in STEM to ensure that they get the support that they need. Because to me, it it can't just be about inspiration. What we're looking at here is massive cultural change. And massive cultural change is incredibly slow and there is a lot of resistance to it. And I've definitely seen a change over the last 10 years in terms of the number of groups for women in STEM that have popped up, which is amazing. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of organizations, some of them are are very specific. So Trowel Blazers are one of my favorite. They work with the trowel-based sciences, so (laughs) archaeology, paleontology and geology, but all sorts of other groups that have started. And and some of them are are very specific. So, you know, STEM Mets is very much working with schoolgirls and coding, got sort of science Science Girls and Black Girls Code and all of these organisations. And the one thing that I've homed in on um, over the last 18 months is mentorship. Because we know that mentorship works. We know that mentorship has an impact. Women who have mentors are five to six times more likely to get a promotion. Um, and so that is my big project, actually, is la- we're launching a new mentorship platform. So for me, it's like, you know, we do have some idea about what works, What we need is widespread adoption of these best practices. It's not enough to just point at amazing women in STEM and go, look, they're great, you can be too. We actually have to take positive steps to provide the kind of support and the the culture that we need. 
So you you said there that you didn't expect that Ada Lovelace Day would would blow up like it did. Why do you think that it did hit that nerve with people? I think in part it's because Ada Lovelace herself is a figure that we can really sort of relate to. So she was uh, an absolute visionary and yet she fell into obscurity. I mean, at the time, because I don't think anyone really understood what she was saying, (laughs) but then later... Um, you know, once she'd been rediscovered by Turing, she kind of really was a niche figure. There's not that many people knew about her. And, you know, we can see historically that Ada really exemplifies how women have been and are treated. And because of that, I personally find her a very sort of sympathetic character in the sense of like, I, I look at what she went through and I look about uh, her reputation and how she was treated after her death. And... Yeah, I can look at that and think, I I relate to that. Ada Lovelace Day seems pretty successful, but on some level, Sue finds it depressing that the day needs to exist at all. It bothers me a lot, actually. Normally, um, this would be the point at which I would justify my own existence and justify Ada Lovelace Day's existence, but I'd really rather not have to. There are so many other things in the world that I could be doing. And I really would love to get to a point where I felt that we could just stop and that women's representation was taken care of as a natural part of our culture and society. You know, for me, that would be absolutely amazing, you know, to see equal representation of women uh, presenting science shows on TV, you know, women um, in the news, women as experts and, and, and figures of authority. You know, if that was all just how the world was, if there was no need for Ada Lovelace Day, I would give it up in a second. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. I think the pace of change is not fast enough. And I'm very passionate about what I do and and I'm very committed to it. But if I could just make none of that exist because we didn't need it, I'd do it in a heartbeat. So Sue would prefer that Ada Lovelace Day wasn't necessary, but also thinks she won't live to see a time when it isn't. According to data from the UNESCO Institute for Statistics, less than 30% of the world's researchers are women. In the UK, the WISE campaign found that in 2018, women made up only 25% of the core STEM workforce. When it comes to fixing the complex issue of gender inequality in STEM, Sue believes there is one simple solution. In a word, funding. Every women in STEM organisation that I know is underfunded and under-resourced and struggling to reach their potential. And Ada Lovelace stays the same. I mean, we nearly ran out of cash earlier this year. Um, We struggled to find enough sponsors last year. This year was really, really tough. So I ended up starting a GoFundMe to ask for public support. Um, And luckily for me, that inspired some companies to get in touch and to sponsor us. And I'm, I'm always very grateful to our sponsors. But that took a lot of time. And you hear the rhetoric. You know, you hear... You know, oh, yes, you know, we must support women in in STEM. And you see the advertising campaigns. But if we are going to make this change, there needs to be serious money behind it. Um, And that money needs to come from multiple sources. It, It needs to come from businesses who need to 
rethink how they do their um, marketing and CSR work around gender because too often I see companies who are seeing campaigns around equality as a kind of gender washing exercise, you know, that they can get the kudos for supporting women without actually putting the money where it can do good. So these institutions, you know, these businesses need to do better. And what they need to do is stop wanting to control the situation. Stop wanting to own the solution. You are not the white knight. You are not on a shining charger. You cannot rescue women from inequality. We don't need rescuing. We need money. How do you think Ada Lovelace would feel about the situation as we have it today? I think uh, Ada Lovelace would have absolutely no patience and no time for anybody who didn't listen to her and treat her with the respect that she deserved. Um, She would not put up with any nonsense from anyone, no matter who they were. And from that point of view, I, I think we should be much more like Ada Lovelace. Massive thanks to Dr. Tilly Blythe and Sue Charman Anderson for joining me on the show this week. Special thanks also to my colleagues, Rose, Jess, Lindsay, and Esther, for lending Ada Lovelace their voices at the start of the show. There'll be a link to the website for Ada Lovelace Day on this week's episode description on the Guardian website. But that's all for this week. Chips is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.